morning. Thank you again for the opportunity to share with you today. I've been watching the broadcast online, I guess, for about eight months, and the first time I'm back here, no one else is, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, thanks for everyone here that keeps things going, um, the AV team, Mark, um, everyone. Um, it's been really great to have the opportunity to worship virtually with everyone. So. Mark had asked me to center my discussion today on the theme of love. And if you recall from the text we just read, the word love doesn't show up once in there, so I was a bit worried <laughs> that I didn't see that. Going to have to make some stuff up. But he did say that we could read the entire chapter, and luckily for me, love's mentioned several other times earlier on. So I'm going to start by reading from the beginning of the book of Colossians. But before doing that, I'm just going to open us in a word of prayer, I'm inviting God just to work through his spirit here for us, um, just to um, really like affect our hearts and allow change. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this season of Advent um, where we get to focus on Christ and the anticipation and expectation of his coming and just what was accomplished through him. God, we pray that in this time you use your word just to move in our hearts. God, I pray that um, the impact of your word will be more than anything that I could have prepared for. Um, God, we pray just for focus. Um, be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to start with verse 1 and read through verse 8 in the book of Colossians. Uh, eventually, I'm going to try to tie everything back together to verses 15 through 23, which was the text that we've been reading throughout the month. So, if you have your Bibles, just look in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And it reads, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. That was the introduction of the book. The others who've spoken in the past few weeks before me have given some context for what's going on. But as a recap, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. Um, he had likely never visited this church and likely never ended up visiting it. 
At the time of writing this letter, he was probably imprisoned in Rome. If I did my Google search right, uh, Colossae is around modern day Turkey, so it's about a thousand miles away as the crow flies. And if you're European, uh, geography is as bad as mine. Uh, just to help visualize it, think of Italy, which is that long, skinny thing in Europe. Uh, near the middle-ish part of it is Rome. Um, and then the Adriatic Sea to the east uh, separates that um, Rome from Greece. And another sea, the Aegean Sea, separates Greece from Colossae. All I'm really trying to get at is that it's pretty far away, especially considering the type of travel that people had access to back then. And Paul had never visited. Instead, it was a church that was founded by Epaphras. Within the letter, Paul ends up addressing a variety of issues that appear to have cropped up in the church. But for now, I want to just dwell on one of those attributes that Paul is acknowledging that existed in the Colossian church, um, specifically a love for all God's people. It appears first in verse 4, where he's thankful to God in his prayers for the church, in part because he has heard of their love for all God's people. And then also in verse 8, uh, he notes that Epaphras also told him of their love in the spirit. And I'm probably maybe reading too much into this word also and have my nose on the bark of a tree, as Mark likes to say. Um, but I think this is implying that it's not just a single report from Epaphras regarding the love that was present within this church, but instead that they had a well-known reputation, perhaps, for loving others, loving all of God's people, and a reputation that notably carried itself over long distances to Paul, who was over a thousand miles away, and back then we didn't have our Instagram to say, like, we love everyone so much, like, this had to travel probably by word of mouth. And to dig into this a bit more, Paul's describing the source of this love in verse 5. It says it's a love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So trying to decipher that and reiterate the source of this love, again, it looks like there's three things that are going on. One, the gospel is heard. Two, hearing the gospel leads to hope. And three, a love for all God's people springs forth from this hope. So again, the gospel is heard. This leads to hope. And a love for all God's people is what springs forth from that hope. In other words, they had heard the message that, right, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son and whoever believed in him would have eternal life. And upon hearing this message, this results in a hope and a change in them to love all God's people. So, two questions about this. First, what kind of love are we talking about here? Um, for reports of this type of love to travel so far, um, for a church to have such a reputation, it must be something that's quite special. And second, applying it to ourselves, should we expect the same type of response in our lives? When we hear the gospel, does a true faith in God result in a love for all God's people? What's the link between hearing and understanding God's love for us and what becomes of our love for other people? 
So on that first point, I'm just, let's talk about what type of love this is. Nowadays, we use the term love to mean a variety of things. Depending on the context, it comes in different strengths. It means a variety of things. For example, there's a love of complacency. There can be a love of benevolence. So, for example, responding towards something or someone because of how appealing um, that object or person is could be defined as a love of complacency versus showing goodwill and action towards something um, would be a love of benevolence. So I can say, I love pizza, which is true. I do like pizza. Um, and that's a response born out of how tasty that pizza is. I can also say, I love my child, which hopefully connotes more of an active love of choice. Um, you can think of all the actions you have to do to take care of your children um, or for your friends. Love also means different things depending on the context. If I say, I love you to Pastor Mark, um, to Cyrus, that is going to mean something slightly different than when I say it to my wife. It might mean something different than when I say it to my parents. If you've been around church long enough, you've heard this, uh, this next thing over and over. But in the Greek language, there are several types of words that can be translated um, into love in English. Right? In the Bible, we see three different things. Um, there's the love termed eros, which is a romantic love where we get the word erotic from. Uh, philos, which is a love of affection and fondness that you may have between good friends. And then there's the third one, agape love. This is an unconditional, often divine love that's characterized by sacrifice and pursuit of another person's good. And this is the term that we see used here in the three instances that had showed up in the verses we just read in verses four through eight. And it's also the same love that's used to describe God's love for Jesus and its power in verses 13 and 14 of this chapter. In 13, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's the agape love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So within the Colossian church, there's something going on that it's more than just a bunch of friends who are getting together and experiencing a love of affection and fondness, that philos love. But I believe there's an element of unconditional love and one that's characterized by sacrifice or putting the needs of others in front of their own needs. And this type of agape love sounds great, but towards the second set of questions I asked earlier, are we, like the Colossians, known for this type of love? Um, in reading this chapter, I ran across a note from one commentator who just said, genuine faith in Jesus will always have a true love for God's people as a companion. Again, genuine faith in Jesus will always have a true love for God's people as a companion. So the question here is why? What is the link between God's love for us and our love for others? And for me, often when I hear these, I, I face a little bit of resistance. Um, personally, I've heard the gospel. I believe these things. But when I think of my, my actions and my reputation, um, I'm not sure that my love for all God's people is something that someone's going to say, oh, that's William. 
he has a love for all God's people, that's really amazing. Um, it's not, probably not always noted as something that's divine. So just a few thoughts on this. Like, where does this link happen? Um, to answer that, let me just read from 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can look at 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading uh, in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And jumping ahead to 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So a full understanding and grasp of God's character, and in particular, God's love, will aid us in expanding our capacity to love others. And here, I think it's grasping the depth of God's love doesn't just come from repeating God is love, God is love over and over, but it really comes from recognizing exactly how his love has been present throughout creation, the fall, and his redemptive plan through Jesus. I came across uh, a list that John Piper had regarding measuring the magnitude of God's love toward us. In this list, the measure of God's love can be assessed through these four points. One, the greatness of the price paid to love a person. Two, the degree to which the person loved does not deserve to be loved. Three, the greatness of the good that is done for the person when he is loved. And four, the level of desire that God has for the good of the one that is loved. So again, I'll just say those again. One, the greatness of the price paid to love a person. Two, the degree to which the person loved does not deserve to be loved. Three, the greatness of the good that is done for the person when he is loved. And four, the level of desire that God has for the good of the one that is loved. And so now I think this can bring us back to the text at hand um, on the supremacy of the Son of God, which... Um, as Dr. Nystrom was saying, is a very deep theological text. Um, and I think viewed through the context of understanding God's love for us, is it really, allows, it really highlights that. So let me just read these points and then read the text, and we can kind of consider the text in light of them. 
So again, point one, the greatness of the price paid to love a person. Consider the supremacy and the attributes of Jesus and that he was the price that was paid to love us. In the text starting in verse 15, it says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so just considering that, that greatness that was in Jesus, um, and he, had, he was the price to be paid. Point two, the degree to which the person loved does not deserve to be loved. In verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in this state, we were enemies of God. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then points three and four, the greatness of the good that is done for the person when he is loved and the level of desire that God has for the good of the one at hand. And in verse 22, we read, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Through the sending and sacrifice of Jesus, we have been brought from a place where we could not even think about approaching God to a place where instead we have been reconciled to God and can approach God wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And so we can see God's love for us through the lens of this text, that while we didn't deserve to be loved by God, God had such a desire for our good that he paid the highest price so that we could be provided with the greatest good, which is being brought back into his presence and in relationship with him. So understanding God's love is one step, but practically, how do we change and move towards the state where we actually are more loving? On our own, it's hard. We all have our own self-serving desires. We're all busy, we got stuff to do, got to look out for ourselves we got all these things but through god we can be changed when we accept christ into our life god sends the holy spirit to dwell within us as our guide and counselor as mark likes to say the spirit of the living god lives within each and every one of us and that spirit has the ability to change us and shape us in verse 8 of this chapter when paul mentions epaphras's report of their love he writes who also told us of your love in the spirit. So even this love that's 
even this love here is generated in and through the power of the Spirit. And if we recall, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit is what grows us in our love, and the Spirit comes from the hearing, believing, and having faith in God. So, I just want to close up as we consider this holiday season, things we should be thankful for as we consider how this year has been strange and perhaps not really filled with what we would typically see as hopeful, peace, joy, and love, we can really reflect back on this passage and on God and how Jesus is to anchor ourselves in the hope, peace, joy, and love that can be found in him. And particularly thinking about love as we hear, read, and study God's word and reflect upon seeing his sending of Jesus, we can pray that the spirit transforms our hearts towards a deeper love for God and others. And just close this in prayer. God, we thank you for this passage again. Thank you for the Christmas season. Thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for the deepness of the love that was displayed for you choosing to send your son, the ultimate sacrifice, so that we can be reconciled through you and that our sins can be wiped away. God, we thank you and praise you for all that you are. We just pray that you watch over us. In Jesus' name, amen.